Welcome to the Habit Mechanic Podcast. To help you finish this year strongly and get ready for a successful 2024, we're re-releasing every podcast we've recorded so far that takes a deep dive into the Habit Mechanic book. The episode's coming up in a few moments. Remember, if you want to get your business off to a great start in January, get in touch to discuss how our Habit Mechanic keynotes or workshops can equip your people with practical skills that help them build super habits in five minutes. Or if you want to earn £100,000 per year working part-time by launching your own coaching business, we guarantee to help you do that in just 13 hours. Get in touch with us today to learn more about becoming a certified habit mechanic coach who can transform people's lives and is recognized as a world leader in the field. For more details, contact us via the website. The link is in the podcast notes. Or if you want to feel better and do better every day, download the Habit Mechanic University app from your app store. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Habit Mechanics. This is our first ever live-streamed podcast, which is really exciting. If you can't see us in the live stream, you're going to be able to, you're going to be listening to us, no doubt, wherever you normally listen to your podcasts. Hope you've had a fantastic week. Um, I'm really excited about today because we're going to take a deep dive into the language that is the backbone of the habit mechanic approach. So we're going to look at chapters three and chapter part of chapter 27. The chapter three is the habit mechanic language and tools. And chapter 27 focuses on, it's the first leadership um, chapter. So it introduces what we call the chief habit mechanic language and tools. So I'm excited about Andrew. How about you? Yeah. Hello again, John. Yes, certainly am. Um, It is going to be a fascinating podcast looking at uh, this idea of a shared language. Um, As you say, later in the podcast, we are talking about leadership. And also, uh, I'd like to ask you about your recent speaking engagement about some uh, alongside some high profile sporting figures. So we'll get to that later. Um, I think uh, a former Premier League football manager and an Olympic gold medalist uh, was uh, were involved in a, in a recent engagement. So that'll be fascinating, I'm sure. And I look forward to speaking about that with you. Um, but yeah, um, starting with chapter three, then the habit mechanic language and tools. I, I, the first thing that I wanted to ask you, John, is why is it important that you that you create this shared language, this shared understanding for people embarking on a, a journey to try and do better and feel better? Yeah, so we've, in, in recent episodes, talked about the nine action factors. One of those is called community knowledge and skills. Another is called personal knowledge and skills. Human beings are huge, hugely complex. Our brain, I think people say it's the most complicated thing that we, that in you know, in the known world. And in order to understand how to navigate it, it's really helpful to have a language. So... You know, I've experienced, for example, where you go into an organisation and lots of people are talking about confidence um, or motivation or leadership. And when you dig into it, they might all mean slightly different things by those quite common words that we would use. So partly 
part of my journey has been to make it easier for people to understand individually and collectively well, what does confidence actually mean and therefore we can start to think about how we could improve it so what emerged over the last literally 20 years is a whole set of language to explain core themes within the habit mechanic approach and also to explain the core tools uh, both the planning tools and the reflection tools and I think it just makes it simpler. You see in the Habit Mechanic University app, people just using now in a very familiar way, very simple language that is actually about really complicated things. Um, and I think that, you know, if you're going to study anything, if you're going to learn about anything in a detailed way, whether you, you, you want to learn to become a car mechanic or an accountant, or a soccer coach, or a school teacher, or a lawyer, or whatever. There, there, are, there is language that you have to learn. Ultimately, we are more complicated than any of those other professions. You know, human beings. So it makes a lot of sense that we would have uh, a language to explain ourselves. That's not only easy to remember and share, but also makes it is based on actually what's going on inside us but it's, it's framed positively, so it actually helps us to do better. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, as you say, John. Um, and uh, the great thing about the Habit Mechanic book is um, it, it does set out all this language and all these terms and tools, and you're able to refer back to them. So um, it becomes a resource for life, a resource for the, the journey you're on to be your best and and to feel better. So uh, I'm sure people will get into the habit of uh, referring back to these tools uh, and um, applying them and gaining that understanding, that shared understanding that you talk about. Now, as you say, John, the, the language is in, in chapter three um, is divided into three sections broadly, core language, tools for self-reflection and tools for planning to be your best and to improve. Um, I think if we start at the first uh, on the first page and the core language, um, I'd like to ask you about some of these and, and, and as you say, take a deep dive into them. So if we can, uh, under the heading of core language, let's start with me power conditioning. Um, tell us more, John, please. Yeah, so I'm trying to think of where the term me power came from. And you can probably remember some of this as well. I certainly remember developing some of the icons around it and the imagery. I think the idea of me power was just very simply trying to help people to understand that they have a lot of internal potential. And if we can understand how our brain works, we can start to do some small, simple, practical things to think and feel and do a little bit better. And that goes an awful long way to feeling our our uh, happiness and our performance. And I think that one of the most important but non-obvious things about that mechanic approach and about human beings generally is that we're thinking all the time and most of us don't even recognise that, that we're talking to ourselves all the time. If you're talking to yourself right now, just notice how you said to yourself, I'm not, I'm not speaking to myself. It's always there. So ultimately, 
we have a lot more control over what we think and do than we've been led to believe. And when we start to understand that we can actually even control the level to, to how we think, then that's the first step to doing better. If you think about the T plan, for example, which is the tool in chapter one of the book, which we'll come on to, the first question in, in that is how well did I do my best to be at my best? So me power conditioning is about is about working on yourself, conditioning yourself. People are most familiar with that term conditioning um, in terms of physical, the physical elements. And I remember reading a paper when I was an academic that was about uh, period, periodizing mental skills training. So mental skills training is about using thinking, training yourself to think in simple terms in a more helpful, powerful way. And I start to see people drawing parallels between mental skills training and physical training. And that's probably where I started to think about this idea of, you know, conditioning, which is more of a physical term. Yeah, I think that's a useful parallel to draw, John. As you say, uh, athletes will will engage in a, a period or, or of hard work, and then maybe alternate that with uh, with some some work that's easier. And it's a it's a very useful idea, I think, when you think about training uh, uh, for the long term and preparing and going on a journey. Um, okay, thanks for that, John. Uh, connected to that, then I think uh, is the term that we see under core language hue horribly unhelpful emotions this idea of thinking all the time and can't always be helpful thinking can it if you want to fulfill your potential or help other people fulfill their potential so you can feel great and get the rewards and respect you deserve then i want to give you a free physical copy of my new best-selling book because you deserve to know the truth. The most important things for fulfilling your potential are not tips, tricks, hacks, therapy, coaching, meditation, breathwork, goal setting, journaling, or finding your why. I know it sounds irrational because we're so used to hearing about using these things to help us fulfill our potential. But these approaches are outdated and ineffective and they are based on a big lie. To find out more and get your free physical copy of Dr. John Finn's best-selling book, The Habit Mechanic, go to tougherminds.co.uk. Yeah, so horribly unhelpful emotions. I distinctly remember creating this idea. And I remember the first time we used it, was in some schools in London called the, Q, the Quintin, Quintin Kiniston schools, which are out down by Lords uh, Cricket Club, but they're a real. Um, they were there. It was a school that was in special measure at the time when we went in, and I remember our head of education being a bit nervous about using this new language about hue and horribly unhelpful emotions, but the kids just loved it, and within minutes they were repeating this back. Um, and and I think that I've I've been compelled by a long time that emotions drive everything that we do. The whole backbone of my PhD is emotional regulation, and 
the hypothesis if we can get better at that everything in life gets easier so i just wanted to give it a really friendly label and i, I think the the idea of a character um is just really brings something quite intang intangible to life and there is something about the, the name hugh um i know a few hughes are all a bit different but people seem to connect to the idea of hugh being a little bit of a maybe grumpy or a bit irritable um so yeah i don't it's just been it's, you know you create these ideas and you don't know how they're going to land but this one has landed particularly well for some reason i'm not sure why but yeah that's what hugh means horribly unhelpful emotions and it's driving everything that we do it runs a lighthouse brain which we'll talk about later on yeah it's funny you say the lighthouse brain that was going to be my next uh question my next term uh to discuss with you john um of course hugh uh is a a key method for you to help people understand about their their brains and how they're thinking and, and how they're talking to themselves the lighthouse brain connects to that also yeah so the lighthouse brain is the simplest way that we and it might also be helpful andrew when you introduce these terms or i, I can do it as well i suppose is to say where they are in the book um the lighthouse brain is actually chapter 10 of the book and it's where we first start to introduce how the brain works. We have three brain models or three ways of explaining how the brain works. They, they start from simple, medium, to the actual reality of how we understand brain work, brains work. The lighthouse brain is the simplest way to explain it. That is our newest explanation of how brains work. Um, it's the idea that you've got Imagine you've got a lighthouse in your brain. The spotlight's always on. There are two characters that that live in the lighthouse. One is Hugh, horribly unhelpful emotions. Hugh's job is to run the, the beam of light. He spends all day searching the past, the present, and the future for worries, threats, problems. It's looking into the future to predict what, what might go wrong it's dwelling on things that might have happened in the past it's looking at the immediate future as well and the, the other character is Wilhelmina Power or Willpower that lives in the lighthouse it's his library it's interested in learning and helping you to be at your best and when Hugh spots something troubling it calls up to Wilhelmina Power or Willpower and makes it aware we, we've got a problem that's like when you become consciously aware of a worrying thought in your head or a you know could be a loud bang or something in your environment and then we have something called the willpower mentoring process where will goes down and it starts to work with work with you to actually work out what is this problem is it a real problem is it an imaginary problem if it's a real problem how do we start to deal with it and what if your brain's working well then you're able to use your willpower to calm down Hugh and to train it and educate it to get better at responding to some of the challenging things that it's noticing. And fundamentally, that's about something we call implicit emotional regulation. So that's the lighthouse brain. 
Two, two for the price of one there, John. Um, yeah, Hugh, you uh, went straight into uh, uh, Will or Wilhelmina Power. And yeah, they, they are related, as you say, and people can read more in Chapter 10 uh, about both of those things. But just to recap, then, it's clear to me as we talk through this, then, that these the, the language um, you've evolved, you've developed and codified, it's um, obviously in this case, it's creating characters. It, it's uh, personifying these these concepts uh, to make them easy to apply and understand. Yeah, so we understand that if I'm an expert in anything, it's learning because that's my job. I'm trying to help people to learn how to think more effectively. So we've taken a, we take learning very seriously and we've got to the nth degree to make it as easy as possible for people to learn. We know that humans have, episodic memories and we know that um that type of memory is very friendly for learning stories so stories are are real they're really key to homo sapiens so if we can turn things into story format they become easier to learn to remember but most importantly to use in your everyday life so that when you get the when you become worried and overly stressed and you've got lots of unhelpful thoughts and wanted thoughts, you've got a better way of, instead of having to un- understand all the different academic brain labels that might be interesting, but not that useful. You've got a simple, but powerful way of understanding how your brain actually works. But, you know, there are some serious things that in there as well. The, I, I, I get asked about willpower often is willpower just a waste of time? You know, is it futile? Um, like a lot, a lot of topics in popular culture, they get polarized. Something's either great or it's useless. So willpower either explains everything about why we're able to do things and do difficult things, or it, it explains nothing. Willpower is real. It lives in the prefrontal cortex. Um, some scientists call it, or that it's connected to what we call self-control, others emotional regulation. There are some different terms for it. But it is a limited resource. We only have so much of it. So what we need to, to do is to use willpower, that limited resource that we have. We need to make sure that we optimise a limited resource with good sleep, good diet, good exercise. But then we bring in insights from behavioral science and habit science to make it easier for us to habitualize the things that willpower can kind of kickstart the thinking behaviors or the the habits that we'd like to develop willpower helps us to kickstart those things but then we've got to use the the behavioral science and the habit science in the form of the nine action factor model to help us to do that yeah okay fantastic um moving on then john two terms which again in the same way uh as hugh and will or Wilhelmina power are interrelated these two are interrelated too and you can find more in in chapter 11 um and again people might recognize what i'm about to say with in some other literature they've read but it's a very important to point out uh the, the way the habit mechanic explains and defines this term and created this specific term in fact uh, is 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 um a unique understanding and a unique i suppose deployment of it um the ape brain uh, and related to it we'll come on to it the hack brain 
So, John, if we start with the ape brain. Yeah, so the ape brain is an acronym, but it's a clever acronym because it's pointing towards the fact that human beings are great apes. That's our lineage. When you look at the brain and what it's designed to do, for me, there were three salient things that I thought were important to try to convey to people. Number one was that our brain is is a survival, or let's just start with, sorry, ground zero. Our brain is about survival. That's what it's designed to do. And you can break that into three core things. One is it's designed to help you just stay alive. So it's got some real basic functionality to help your to, to help you to breathe and for your heart to beat, et cetera. But also it's making you aware of the loud bangs of the person that looks a little bit suspicious that's walking towards you. So it's helping you to stay alive. The second thing, and it's connected to the first thing, but it's, it is distinct, is that it's interested in your social status or, in other words, how you're perceived by important people in your life. So for most of our, well, humans are not the biggest, fastest, strongest animal on the planet. Our unique survival advantage is working intelligently in teams. So if you want to improve your chances of surviving and, in fact, passing your genes on, other people need to like you. So our brain is hardwired to be aware of that. In fact, the parts of your brain that are telling you about what important people think about you, your social status, are hardwired into the parts of your brain that tell you if you're thirsty or you're hungry. That's how fundamental it is. So we've got the alive, the perceived, and then the E is energy. So our brain's number one operating rule is to save energy. And sometimes people get confused. They say, I thought, it was, I thought the number one operating rule was survival. Well, no, our brain's designed for survival. You can't survive if you don't have any energy. That's sort of the, the most basic limiting factor. Think of your car. Your car can't go anywhere if it doesn't have any petrol in it. You can't, your body can't function if you don't have energy inside it. And for most of our existence, energy has been a scarce resource. So we are wired to conserve energy at all costs. That's why we habitualize everything, because um, habits are the most energy-efficient ways to do things. That's also why supermarket shelves emptied in the pandemic, because people panicked and thought there was going to be a, a lack of energy resources. Yeah, so that's the air brain, a live perceived energy brain. Yeah, okay. And then, as we say, connected to that, the hack brain, the helpful attention control brain. I've, I've started defining it there for you, John. Yeah, so the helpful attention control brain. Is trying, to, is trying to point a bit more academically, a bit more scientifically to what the prefrontal cortex is is really useful for, which is helping us to get our attention back onto what's the most helpful for us. So willpower lives and runs the hack brain. Hugh lives in and runs the ape brain. But we also just like the term hack in, um, in the sense of to hack into something, to hack into the system. So that's where you know some of that wordplay comes from. And we were just able to actually fit in something very meaningful into that. Helpful is really important as well because people talk about positive and negative, which I think is oversimplistic. 
something that's really positive, for example, I like donuts, so I ate three donuts this morning, could be really unhelpful for my weight goals. Something that's really positive, um, sorry, something that's really negative, like my boss gave me a bit of a telling off today because, you know, my work isn't up to scratch. That might be quite helpful because that, that I needed to kick up the backside to get me back on track. So it's about helpful attention control. We are paying attention all of the time. And sometimes we're paying attention to things that are helping us to be at our best. Sometimes we're just paying attention to things that are not helping us to be at our best or unhelpful. And that's where we have the barcode um, to, to, to visualize a 24-hour period. The black lines uh, in the book are unhelpful. Parts of the day when we're doing and thinking things that are not helping us to be at our best, the white lines are times in the day when we're thinking and doing things that are helping us to be at our best. Yeah, um, and of course, it's it's important to point out that all these terms are uh, nicely set out for people in the Habit Mechanic book, uh, and uh, specifically, these two terms can you can read more about them in Chapter Eleven. But they're all set out for people in Chapter Three, the Habit Mechanic language and tools. Um, in, we're looking at the core language just at, at the moment. Um, there's there's over two pages of the of these terms, but. I would I would advise people not to be intimidated because the 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 accessibility and the clarity there um is so helpful um but it does nevertheless show the the comprehensive nature of what the habit mechanic can do for people um and and understanding these terms is a fantastic way I think to 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 start your journey to feel better and be better uh, I'm going to ask you uh, a few more um terms within the core language section john we probably haven't got time on this podcast to do them all but um again two interrelated ones uh when it comes to people as i say trying to be better trying to feel better um and focusing on that that development um chapter 14 for these two hedonism and eudaimonia yeah so i suppose people might think they know what hedonism is initially yeah, and, and that, you know, I'm sure they're in the right ballpark. What they as as they think of what it what it means for them. the The question of what is happiness, what do you need to be happy? I saw someone posted the day on LinkedIn. Well, what you really need to be happy is freedom. And I was I was thinking about what what that means in the context of what I understand, but I I think happiness is a, is a three part equation, and the first part is getting your brain working well, which means good sleep, good diet, good exercise, good social connectivity. The second part of the equation is hedonism. That is letting your hair down, having some fun, giving into short-term gratification now and again. That's easier to do than ever before because of the world that we live in. We can, we, you know, we can buy pretty much anything that we want um, or we can we can access that. We can you know check in with social media. Any foods that we want are available to us. We can watch TV twenty four seven, etc. So it's easier than ever to have hedonic experiences. The third part of the equation is eudaimonia, which mean which really at the heart of it is delaying short term gratification, so that you can make personal progress, so that 
you do the what, what I call a high charge work and you delay the temptation to give in to the short-term gratification thing and you keep persisting so that you actually grow and you learn and you feel better about yourself. So being happy for me is a balance across all three of those things. But the challenge we face is that it's easier than ever to do hedonic things. That disrupts good brain function. So it disrupts good sleep, good diet, good exercise. And it also makes it harder to make progress on meaningful um, activities that are often mentally challenging. And because our brain is designed to save energy, it resists going there. So that's what those terms mean. So it's trying to dig into, you know, as much scientific insights as we can to build really strong foundations for what we're helping people to do. So I just didn't want to say, well, happiness is important. I wanted to say, well, what what actually is happiness and what are the subcomponent parts of that? And I'm pretty compelled by that equation. It doesn't you know, it's one of those that when you go back to it time and again, it still makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, that's what they mean. Yeah, and Chapter 14 is the place where you can read uh, more about uh, hedonism and eudaimonia. Um, as I say, we won't do them all, John, in, in the core language section because of, of the length. But uh, you just mentioned something there w- which connects to a term I wanted to ask you about. You talked about high charge, and this relates to the core language, the core term brain states which um, is, 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 is discussed in detail in Chapter 25, but, but listed in Chapter 3, as we're talking about today. So please do tell us what you mean by this term brain states. Yeah, so we like to think of the brain as being like a battery. It's only got, got so much charge in any 24-hour periods, and there are three states it can operate in. One state is recharge, one is medium charge, one is high charge. In the recharge brain, uh, recharge can be sleep or non-sleep. In the medium charge brain state, we do our easy work that we call freezing ice cubes. In the high charge brain state, which is a limited resource, we can only have so much of it each day, um, we build our ice sculptures, which is our mentally complex and challenging work. And the key is, is to get the optimal balance between those brain states every day. So... The optimal balance is a bit like a pyramid structure with the recharge at the bottom, the medium charge in the middle, and the high charge, which is the scarcest resource at the top. So I'm setting up my day, my work days, um, so that I can do between four to five hours of high charge work every day. And the core tool that we use to help people to put all that together is called the willpower story, which is one of the main tools in Chapter 25. So that's what we mean by high charge brain state and brain states more generally. Yeah, I think that's a, a really useful metaphor, if you like, the, the idea of the brain as a battery. I, I certainly find that extremely um, applicable and accessible when, when you're thinking about the, your day and, and trying to, to be your best at any point during the day. It, it really is a, a great tool and a great way of thinking about it. Uh, final one then in the core language section uh if we may um and we're going back up the list actually but that do- doesn't matter uh chapter 23 for this one i think it's um something that has a i've seen it have a really significant impact with people you use the term the house of confidence yeah so 
we created the term the house of confidence again just trying to make something that's quite intangible much more tangible so confidence is a term that's that's used on a daily basis by a lot of people but what does it actually mean how can you make that term more helpful so the house metaphor has a few different components but we know that um confidence is a, has has two components as a construct it isn't one thing um but people seem to talk about one of one or other of those constructs interchangeably with confidence which is inaccurate and also it's going to lead to you building poor confidence so com- confidence has two parts one is um belief which is called self-esteem and the other part is evidence which is called self-efficacy so the house works quite well because you can think of the bricks as your evidence as to why you're good at something so let's just say math as an example so you might have one one brick for addition one brick for subtraction one brick for for the division one brick for long division one brick for knowing your times tables and so on and so forth equally you might have bricks for well you'd have bricks for reading and writing and listening as well because if you can't do those things you don't really learn math either so you've got the evidence and then the house as an entire structure is your belief and if you think of it like you build much more robust confidence also in the the original um house of confidence visual and how we explain it is the three to one mechanism which is based on barbara fredrickson's work the idea that if you're flourishing in life if you're doing really well you're processing at least three positives to every one negative which i think of as a helpful way of thinking that's a minimal ratio sometimes you need um up to 11 positives to every one negative but we use that house of confidence visual uh, to, to demonstrate that yeah that's and, of confidence yeah when you see that visual it really does make it even more digestible and that's a great explanation but certainly um when it's used in in tandem with a visual um i've seen people really really um come alive almost and and um gain an understanding of confidence and building confidence that's so applicable and useful for them well well john thanks for that taking us through those pieces of core language that people can find in chapter three of the habit mechanic uh, which focuses on habit mechanic language and tools Uh, we're going to move on now to um, the language that uh, relates to self-reflection the tools for self-reflection section and um, uh, the first one I think it is the first term listed here but I think it's most appropriate to start with um, the ape brain test we've talked about the ape brain um, just recently but this is the ape brain test Yeah, so this is our most basic, what we call habit metric. I've spoken a lot recently about why psychometrics don't work, why they're outdated, why I'd argue they're more damaging than good. They do more damage than good. So um, our simplest way to get people thinking about their habits is the eight brain test, um, which is literally being used by, yeah, easily... I'd say tens of thousands of people now because it's one of the first things that we used to do with people. And it's just a really simple way of switching on your prefrontal cortex and thinking about yourself in a way that you wouldn't normally think about yourself. 
Um, I think that's in chapter 12 of the book. Is that right, Andrew? Yeah. So it's just a way for people to start making sense of some of the things they've been reading so far in the book in their own lives. Um, so, yeah, that that's the eight brain test. Okay, and then connected to that, you have a, um, a more developed reflection, reflective tool uh, to, to help people um, go further than that. And it is a second one on the list, but I think it, it's useful to connect the two together, um, the in-depth habits reflection. Again, um, well, that's in Chapter 17. Yeah, so what we've learned is that the way that we ask people to think about themselves via our habit metrics can be quite difficult because we're just not designed to think about ourselves in these ways. So right now we can, we can see each other quite clearly, Andrew, almost in 2020 vision, even though we're in an online uh, meeting, our ability to see ourselves in the same way is very, very limited. So our brains are just not wired to be good at, thinking about ourselves and how we're doing you know so if you get a rumble in your stomach what is it am i hungry am i tired am i got an upset tummy am i sad we're just not good at reading ourselves so what we're doing with these habit metrics is making it easier for people to do that using these tried and tested frameworks so the in-depth habit reflection builds on the eight brain test gets you thinking again you don't just do these self-assessments once they're evergreen self-development tools and then what builds on the in-depth habits reflection is the helpful habits reflection and i always start my uh, coaching work using those tools to get people thinking about themselves very soon they'll be available in the app as well actually so you can store your data um it's making it easy to see the progress that you're making on different areas but yeah, they're designed to help make it easy to switch on your prefrontal cortex, but to think about yourself in a structured and systematic way that allows you to recognize the helpful things that you're doing, but also some of the unhelpful things. So you can start to target one tiny unhelpful thing and build a better habit in that area. Um, another way we would explain that is it helps you to identify your destructive habits and start to destroy them and start to uncover your super habits and start to build them. Yeah. And it's worth pointing out, John, the habit mechanic university app is free to download in the first instance from the app store. And you can also get it on Google play as well. Uh, very well worth while doing. Um, so you've talked us through the, the first three self-reflection tools then um let, let's just carry on um and and pick up um after the eight brain test the in-depth habits reflection and the helpful habits reflection um the next exercise that you're referring to is how hue hinders change and uh, more details can be found in chapter 20 but how hue hinders change john explain that one for us please yeah so this is another habit metric and it's making us consider some of the automatic and ingrained biases and belief systems that Hugh might throw at, throw at us to derail our efforts to make positive change. So we found that if you can be aware of 
how you might get in your way before it actually gets in your way, you've got a better chance of dealing with it. So we know that changing behavior, changing our habits can be really difficult. So that self-assessment is just giving you the very best chance of being aware of how you might derail you, which may have been a more linguistically um, creative way to name that, the self-assessment. So that's how you hinders change. Okay, thanks, John. Last two then in, in the self-reflection tools section. Um, people, as they go on the journey to, to be their best and perform better, will often, I, I suppose, establish a, uh, some skills and, and develop to some extent, but then in their lives, in their work, they, they come under pressure. And this is a tool to help performance under pressure, the performance hack plan. Yeah, so chapter 24 is where we take the deep dive into how to perform under pressure. So the performance hack plan brings all the big ideas together that we know are really important for getting good at performing under pressure. So my background in sports psychology gave me a huge interest in getting better at performing under pressure. I went further than most by creating my own physical performing under pressure training aid called the pre-shot training system. Um, yeah, so the, the, performing, the, the performance hack plan is just making it really easy to understand what you're doing well to give yourself the very best chance of performing under pressure, whether that's a presentation or hitting a golf ball or anything else that you want to get better at under pressure. And then it's also allowing you to identify some areas that you could do better, some areas that you could improve. Okay. And the final, uh, final term then you've talked about the importance of learning and the pivotal nature and need for it in, in this self-development uh, journey. Um, the learning strengths plan. Explain that one for us, please. Um, chapter 26 is where you can find more about that, by the way. Yeah. So one of the core language um, is 10 intelligence factors. So very early when I started to work in education, I would hear people saying, little Jimmy just can't learn. To which I'd fall off my chair. Thinking, what are you talking about? You can't, every, humans are designed to learn. We are, everything we can do, we've learned to do. Um, so one of the things I wanted to do was really break down how learning happens and that, what emerged out of that is the ten in, the ten intelligence factors, which I really unpack in chapter five, but then go into even more detail in chapter twenty six. Um, we can all learn. We're all doing it all of the time already. In this podcast, you've learned some language that you may have not been familiar with before, but there are really smart, efficient, and effective ways to learn, and there are ways to practice that are not very effective. So the learning strengths plan 
it allows you to put into practice the learning insights that we share and think about how you're giving yourself the best chance or not to optimize the time that you're spending doing formal learning. So including things like um, activation levels and how you're repeating things or not, etc. But it's just a really important part of writing the habit mechanic book and creating the approach is making sure that you don't just give people the knowledge and some skills that you start to give them a pathway to developing better habits. So that's what the learning strength plan is for. And of course, fundamentally as habit mechanics, we're all learning to get better at building better habits, you know? So although learning might not feel immediately that important for you, if you want to be healthier and happier and at your best more often, it is the main conduit for that because you need to learn how to, how to change your behavior ultimately. Yeah. When you put it like that, John, you can certainly see the absolute uh, pivotal nature of it. And and as you say, uh, it's something people might not have immediately associated with this, but, but yeah, absolutely. You can see that. Well, thanks so far for taking us through some of, the, the terms in, in the core language section of chapter three and also the tools for self-reflection. The final section then is the the, the planning tools. These are tools for, to help people plan to be their best and and, and plan to to perform well. Um, and if we can take two, the first two together, I think it's relevant. Um, they, they, as I believe, uh, bookend the day potentially for people, uh, the, the start and the end of the day, uh, the daily tea plan and the daily three to one reflection. Please give us your insight into those, John. Yeah, so the daily tea plan is chapter one of the book, which is, if, I mean, if you go into the app, you'll see people every day posting their daily tea plans. And it's our most simple way of helping people to intelligently self-watch and intelligently plan to make the next 24 hours a bit easier. So three questions to consider. The first one is, how well did I do my best to be my best and achieve my goals yesterday out of 10? 10 would mean I was perfect. One would mean I failed. Give yourself a score. Two is you pick a tiny empowering action. That's the T. Could be, which is designed to help you to do a little bit better today. So if I got a seven out of 10 yesterday, what can I do today to make my life a little bit easier? Um, go for a five-minute walk at lunchtime would be an example. Only check on these ones today. Write an end-of-day reflection, positive reflection, helpful reflection. So just pick one of those things. And then number three, you say, why? Why is doing that going to be helpful for me? So that sounds really simple, but in fact, it wasn't very simple to put together. And there's been lots of different iterations, as we talked about a few podcasts ago, about how, how we got to the T plan. And three to one reflection, then, is something you can use at the end of the day. It's our most basic, what we call, focus reflection tool. We know the power of writing to deal with and manage stress and unwanted thoughts. So the idea is that um, you write three helpful or positive things about the day and then one the one thing is something you can do better in the next 24 hours so it might be i need to be in bed 10 minutes earlier tonight than i was last night 
you can go much further with that tool. So what I actually write down as many positive and helpful things as I can about the day. Um, but I also post a three to one in the app, as do many other people. So yeah, I, I use those to bookend my day and lots of other habit mechanics do as well. Yeah, and and uh, chapter five is where you can find more about the daily three to one reflection, as you say, John. Um, now we're talking about planning tools. Um, people will make plans, big plans, hopefully to to succeed and be better. And a tool that that the habit mechanic provides to do this in a, in an, an excellently in an excellent practical and applicable way is the FAM story. Um, FAM stands for something, doesn't it, John? Future, ambitious, meaningful. Yeah, so one of the first really interesting ideas I came across in performance psychology was uh, BHAGs, which is an idea from a book called Good to Great. Um, And then there's another book called Built to Last, which is by some Harvard or Stanford academics. I'm not doing them great justice on I can't remember what they're called, but um, very, very famous business book. And they talk about BHAGs, which is big, hairy, audacious goals, which I think is a really interesting term, but actually it's a bit frightening for some people. Um, so we took inspiration from the idea of BHAGs and we thought, well, what's a better way to explain this idea of of uh, the importance of goal setting and intelligent goal setting. And we wanted to go much further than just creating a big vision, which is what BHAGs are about. We wanted to give people a a tool that they could use to structure their distant future and connect it with their medium-term future and their short-term future. So the fan form, which is in Chapter 16, which is I think was the first podcast that we released um, of the year, maybe on January the 1st, 2023, was all about the fam fam story and how to do it. It's in chapter 16 of the book. Um, You'll be able to do it in the app very soon, so you can can save and update your story. So, so powerful. So even if you just um, create the fam story, use some of the habit... um, metric tools that we've talked about like the in-depth reflection and the helpful habits reflection and you start to do a three to one or a a daily tea plan and a three to one you know just using those four or five tools you're off to a fantastic start in terms of building better habits so that's the fam story yeah and and just one more thing i i think i'd say about that this idea of it, it almost um takes the thinking away is my way of putting it john i don't know if that's right but but this idea of of helping you understand what you need to do in the immediate short term to help you make progress and and reach your your broader future aim um it it spells it out for you yes and that's what i hope all these tools do for me they're like stabilizers so it's like helping you to learn how to ride your bike of happiness and performance and success. Um, and at some point you'll start to habitualize this way of thinking, but then you might stop thinking in this way for, for a period because of what happens in your life. 
and you've got the reassurance that the tools are always there to put back on the bike if you want to, to re-stabilise and to re-practice. So nothing in the habit mechanic is prescriptive. The frameworks are there as a starting point so that you can get going with on your journey to, to being a habit mechanic. But you don't have to do anything that isn't working for you ultimately. The key is to test and try, and then you're going to learn what works best for you. Yeah, um, I think uh, we we could we could talk for much longer about all the terms and the planning tools, but I think it, it's probably appropriate to just pick out two more uh, and one which I, I I don't think I could leave this specific podcast without asking you about um, the habit building plan. The book is the habit mechanic, and this is this is the essence of it really. Yeah, for me, the habit building plan is the new gold standard of coaching yourself, of coaching others. Um, I was, I was, I was speaking. I was delivering a keynote last week, and I said something in a way that I don't think I've ever said before. Said it quite in that way before, and I was also writing a Forbes article about this, and it's that I, I think that coaches, well, individuals coaches, leaders, managers. We've we've had our hands tied behind our backs, literally, when we're trying to be our best or trying to help others to be at their best. And we've been seriously let down by the experts. We've taken in good faith uh, training, insights, tools that we've been told, if you use these tools, if you use these systems from the psychometrics to everything else, you're going to get fantastic results for yourself and for your people. But they've failed, they've failed us. More people than ever are struggling. And it's not looking uh, bright out there. It looks like more and more people are, are, are struggling. It's not because many of them are trying to do things differently. The reason that those other approaches are not working is because they don't actually move us past knowing what we should do. We don't do what we know we should do. We do what we're in the habit of doing. And that's why every uh, core section in the book, why every coaching session that, that I do, why every co coaching session that we train certified habit mechanic uh, coaches to do, it ends with a, with a habit building plan. Because if we want to change our behavior, we need to use insights from neuroscience, behavioral science in combination with what I call habit science to actually focus us onto what we're going to practice differently and how we're going to do that. So after investing you know, thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands of hours into creating our nine action factor comprehensive behavioral science model, which I've spoken about in other recent podcasts and is in chapter 18 of the book, we thought, well, how can we make this super easy for people to actually activate these factors? even if they're just sitting in a room working by themselves. And that's what the habit building plan is. It implicitly taps into the nine action factors. So you don't have to know anything about the nine action factors, but you can still start to get better at activating them by answering the questions in the habit building plan. Of course, working with an expert to do that makes it easier. But in the book, we, we give lots of examples of similar habit building plans to the ones that you might want to build. And we have examples in there for uh, sleep, 
diet and exercise, which are all closely interconnected for managing stress, for building confidence, for performing under pressure, uh, for being more productive, focused, et cetera, and then some leadership ones as well. So that's the habit building plan, Andrew. Absolutely essential if you want to do things differently and not just know things. And for me, that is the gold standard of what a good coaching session should look like. It should finish with a habit building plan based on um, you know the nine factors that actually drive what you do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, chapter 20 uh, is where you can read much more about that in the Habit Mechanic book. Um, Final term then, John, in terms of the uh, tools for for planning to be your best. Um, You you mentioned this in passing earlier, um, but if you would give us your your detailed insight into it, the willpower story. Yeah, so the willpower story, the, the book is very deliberately structured. So it starts by introducing um, the main habit mechanic type concepts. And then it goes on to talk about your brain. And then we introduce the core tools. We start with sleep. Some people will come to me and say, I just want to be more productive and focused. How do I do that? And when you dig into it, they're not sleeping properly. They're not eating properly. They're not exercising properly. If your brain's not working well, you're not going to be more focused and more productive and feel good about yourself. Equally, if you're not managing stress very well, it's the same. Equally, if you're not managing your confidence very well, it's the same. So productivity and focus come at the end of the habit mechanic toolkit section of the book because actually to be um, to optimise every 24-hour period, then you need to be sleeping well, eating properly, exercising properly, managing stress well, managing your confidence well. It's almost like the productivity piece is the icing on the cake. But a, a really powerful tool that we use to pull all these core ideas together is the willpower story. We know the power of planning ahead, intelligent planning, and the willpower story makes it easier for you to use insights like your activation um level uh, optimization points throughout the course of the day. So there's a tool in chapter 21 called the optimal activation review helps you to, to plan those insights into your day, helps you to plan uh, or take into consideration your brain states and how you use and optimize how you use those during the course of the day. Um, The ice cubes and ice sculptures idea that I mentioned earlier in the podcast it helps you to plan how you're going to use those during the day so yeah the willpower story is a massive tool and if you go into the if you go into the app most days you will see that my tea plan is to create a willpower story because for me that's the most that's the most beneficial you know five minutes I can spend in my day it's actually there sneak peek on the video that's my willpower story today um but in chapter 25 there's loads of examples there's the template etc to make it really easy for you to do that so that's the willpower story yeah and as you illustrated there john all these terms the core language the tools for self-reflection and the tools for planning they fit together and work with each other and support with each support each other um that's uh, uh of course a fantastic uh feature and benefit of the 
uh, the habit mechanic book and the, and the system that you you outline in that. Well, John, thanks so much for taking us through then chapter three in that depth, uh, the habit mechanic language and tools. I'm sure that will help people who haven't read the book to understand more about how they can start to think about doing better and feeling better. And people who do already have the book, um, it's a great insight for them to 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 really bring that to life even more. So thank you very much for that. Um, we're going to finish the podcast with with two um, talking about two things, which. Um, uh, well, one 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 recent event. I know we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. You've been speaking, uh, as you mentioned, a, a keynote. I think it was at St George's Park, the home of the Football Association, alongside a, a former Premier League manager and, a, and an Olympic gold medalist. So I'd love to hear more about that. But also, um, I think it was worth mentioning um, just something uh, about um chapter 27 of the book the chief habit mechanic language and tools we've talked about the habit mechanic language and tools and now uh, we'll just go on briefly if we may to talk about the chief habit mechanic language and tools these are tools for for leaders if you like and people who want to help others do better and feel better yeah so the book is split into two if you like the first part focuses on helping you to become a habit mechanic The second part focuses on helping you to become a chief habit mechanic so you can help others to be at their best. That's quite unusual in a book. Um, You know, why why have you not written two separate books? Because for me, those two things are fundamentally interconnected. You can't become a fantastic leader if you're not a habit mechanic. So, yeah, we could have easily... I mean, the habit mechanic, in truth, is probably four separate books. That's how much is in there. But we wanted to create the manual. So you had it all in one place. And the chief of mechanic piece isn't just for, you know, titled leaders in big organisations or, or in sport or in other places that you might associate with, with leadership. It's for parents. It's for teachers. It's for anybody that wants to help others to do better. Because ultimately the the most powerful way you can help others to do better is to help them to build better habits because that's what runs them. And again, helping them to know some stuff and giving them some tips and some tricks might be nice, but it's a waste of time and can actually do more damage than good because people hear a tip or a trick and maybe try it or think they've tried it and then it doesn't work for them and they fail. And then they start to think, well, I tried to do better, but I can't. This must just be the way that I am and I'll never be able to change and I'll never be any good. So all of a sudden, you've actually helped them to create more of a fixed, what I'd call eight, eight brain mindset than, than help them to do be their best. So that mechanic um, book includes our entire leadership program. Um, so that if you want to become a better leader, better manager or you want to help others to do that or you just want to help others do better then it's full of tools and insights that will help you to do that i'm going to some of the specific ones now yeah we'll we'll look at some of those but before we do i'd I'd just like to ask you that, that this chapter does contain a fascinating story which relates to the all blacks rugby team now whether you follow sport or not whether you follow rugby union or rugby league i'm sure everyone's heard of the All Blacks, the New Zealand international team, um, fantastic winning record, almost unbeatable. The 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 epitome of of a successful team, and their coach, or well, the, 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 the their then coach Steve Hansen, um, 
you, you tell a story about him in this book, which uh, you, you've you observed from the, the Amazon documentary um, on, on the team, which was a fly on the wall, um, fully candid look at their, their inner workings. Yes. So the, I think the book has over 40 of these types of stories where we use these real-world case studies either with people we've worked with ourselves or people that are in the public eye. We've managed to get some really good insight via books or documentaries and things. Yeah, the, the All Blacks are renowned for being one of the, well, often they're called the most successful sports team of all time. And this documentary was done in a period where they were making a transition. Um, a lot of experienced players had retired, essentially, and then newer players were having to come in to take up the leadership brains. And it essentially shows a team meeting, or the, the thing I, the clip I talk about shows a team meeting where Steve Hansen, where the, the All Blacks, I think they'd just lost to Australia, which is never good. Doesn't go down very well in New Zealand. And I think they'll prepare him to play Argentina in the in the Tri-Nations competition. And he said, um, I want you to stand up if you've done your video preparation work for the game on Saturday, which they were tasked with watching core clips about their opposite numbers to learn more about them before they played them. And I think of a squad of maybe 25 about five stood up, if that, um, which was obviously hugely disappointing. And Steve Hansen's talking then goes on to say, you know, it's not about playing on the Saturday. It's about your habits in the week. He uses that language very, very specifically. It's about your habits. And what I found really interesting about that is, so, so for me, I think that, we, everyone has some sense, I think, of what sports science has done for the physical conditioning of athletes over the past 20 years. What I think is going to happen is that habit science is going to have the same seismic impact but on our ability to be healthy, happy, and at our best more often, individually, across teams, across organisations. And I think the habit mechanic approach is on the absolute razor-sharp cutting edge of that because what's striking is that Steve Hansen as massively experienced coach as he is he's been let down by the experts because he couldn't he could get the 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 new players that were coming into the environment physically fit and physically conditioned because the scientists um, and the practitioners were able to help him to do that what he couldn't do was get them to adopt the habits he needed them to adopt in order to be the best All Blacks that they could possibly be because the scientists and the practitioners weren't able to provide him with the answers. Um, whereas now I think we're in a much better position to do that. So, yeah, that's the that's the, the All Black story. I don't know if I got to the heart of what you wanted me to get out there, Andrew, but... Yeah, I think it, uh, just one thing I picked out about the way you um, relay the story was that, that there's, I think you picked out a quote that um, after that pivotal moment where he helped the squad reflect and, and revealed to themselves and to their peers that um, they weren't perhaps as 
working as diligently as they might be. I think he he, he talks about that moment and said something around, along the lines of if you, um, I think if you think you've arrived, then it'll probably be the end of the road. I.e., don't stop working on yourself. Yes, I think that's from a separate. Uh, that's from. Um, I think that's from an interview before New Zealand played Ireland. I think, but yeah, it's from um, a similar time period. But yeah, it speaks to the point that Steve Hansen desperately wants, and the All Blacks pride themselves on creating a culture where everybody is working on themselves and everybody is striving to get better. But clearly in that moment, many of the players weren't. And that's because the nine action factors were not aligned to help them to do that. But we haven't understood that that before. Now we do, and the habit mechanic, I believe, is, is going to make it easier for people to build cultures that make it easier for, for people to be at their best. Yeah, well, you said a word there that, that uh, is included in and connects to what I'm going to ask you about next, uh, culture. Um, I think the most important term that's defined and, and set out in the this chapter about the chief habit mechanic language and tools is the five-stage team power model. Please do tell us about that, John, if you would. Yeah, and the good news is we just released um, a webinar that we're going to do on March 21st about the five-stage team power model, but it's in the book as well. Yeah, so again, you know, having worked in professional sport for a long time, having done my an undergraduate in sports science and master's in sports psychology, you think, well, how do teams actually work? What 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 makes a good team? When you have these black box outdated models like the Belbin model, etc. And I, I just couldn't find a model that really I thought was really, really effective in explaining how teams, how high-performing teams work that had a, a good neurobiological basis, that had a good neuroscience basis, that really thought about habits. So I created the five-stage team power model. I used insights from academic uh, theories, uh, from uh, brain science, from behavioral science, but also a lot of the work that I'd done with some you know top, top elite, world-leading sports coaches that I'd been lucky to work with using insights that I gleaned from them. And I put it together in this model that's um, really powerful and really robust. And literally within five minutes, you can assess your team. And then the next five minutes, you can get your team to assess themselves. So really simple, really practical, building all the ideas from um, the habit mechanic. And it starts, it gets you thinking about what are the habits in the team and what which habits are helping us to be at our best? What do we need to change? And then it plugs into our leadership framework as well, which is powerful. Yeah, and within within that five stage model, John, um, I mean, you you show the again you you connect this to a, a visual device, which I think is exceptionally useful and and makes the the, the thinking easier and, and more applicable um the idea of, of of climbing up a mountain it just just if you would give us some detail about those five stages and the the scaling of the summit to use the metaphor yeah so the first stage which is before base camp is what we call me power conditioning we talked about language right at the start of the podcast 
if you're going to have a powerful team, everyone in the team needs to be deliberately working towards being at their best, needs to be proactively being a habit mechanic. So that's the first thing we need to consider. The next uh, stage, and actually we go a bit further with the metaphor, we actually imagine that we know the complexities of the VUCA world and the post-pandemic world. We used to have that metaphor that was about getting the right people on the bus. We dispel that metaphor because it's outdated. Um, that assumes that you know where you're going now and the road is clear. It's not anymore. Things are changing so quickly. It also assumes that there's a dominant uh, leader in the team or that leadership is disproportionately... or that, But actually, no, let me scrap what I said. That it, it assumes there's a leader on the bus and everybody else are passengers. Well, that isn't the case. So the, the metaphor we use is that imagine that actually your team are on snowmobiles going up the mountain, often in quite challenging conditions. So that's that's what we're starting. So the second stage is base camp, where we meet up and you know we park our snowmobiles somewhere outside the building. We go in and we, we work out what, what are we trying to achieve here? What are the big goals? What's the mission? What does the top of the mountain look like? And we distill that down into roles and responsibilities. And we try to do that in a in a self de- self-determining way as we can. And this really connects into the cultural architect part of our leadership model, which we'll talk briefly about later. So we we set out the vision, people buy into and in, are empowered to buy into their roles and responsibilities. Then we get on our snowmobiles and we set off. So that in the next uh, the third stage is called group climbing support. This is how we communicate with each other day in and day out to help each other to be at our best. This plugs into two other areas of the leadership model, which is the role model and the action communicator. Step four is what we call campfire discussions. So this is highlighting the importance of that need to develop each other and doing that very deliberately. Um, so carving out some time to coach and mentor each other so that we can all continue to learn the essential skills and habits that we're going to need as we tweak and refine what our team needs to do in order to to win and beat the competition in the challenging modern world. That plugs into something we call the swap coach, which is another part of our leadership model. And then stage five is called... Um, the group uh, climbing review where we periodically stop, get together and review the goals and the mission that we set out in the community base camp and question, is this still the mission? What's changed? What do we need to adjust? What are we doing well? What can we do differently, etc. So that they're the five stages. And you can essentially assess yourself collectively and individually across the stages. And then you've got the leadership framework to actually help you to work on the different areas. Yeah. And uh, that, 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 that metaphor of the mountain is, is uh, so useful and, and so applicable, it seems to me. And the idea of, of climbing it together um, fits, fits perfectly. Um I think to draw to a close uh, this look at the uh, language and tools in in chapter 27 uh, relating to the chief 
being a chief habit mechanic. Um, just one more thing then, John, um, it, it, and you've just mentioned it's one of the four, um, the idea of a cultural architect. This to me is um, is really fascinating. Yeah, so I think it's worth saying that we have um, a leadership model, habit science-backed leadership model that has four areas. One is the role model, one is the action communicator, one is the swap coach, one is the cultural architect. Like the habit assessments that, or the habit metrics that we highlighted earlier in the podcast for us individually, like the helpful habits reflection and the in-depth habit reflection, we have habit metrics for each four of those leadership areas there in the book so you can analyze your habits in all those areas identify some of your um destructive habits if you have any and then also start to highlight your super habits the cultural architect we're not going to need everyone to be a cultural architect in the team you've got maybe one or two people who are in charge of that we do need everyone to be better role models and better action communicators. And that's my point about everyone's got a leadership responsibility in a team because everyone has influence. But the cultural architect is about stepping back and being responsible for creating what we call a purposeful development culture, which is a culture that makes it really easy for people to turn up every day and to work towards being at their best and building better habits and just getting a little bit better. Um, and we have a we have a strategy tool in this is in chapter thirty two, which is a cultural architect chapter that's similar in a lot of ways to the fam story tool. The fam story tool is for yourself, but the strategy tool is for your team. And it's got five core questions. The, the first one is what what does winning look like for the team? And the final question is all about well what habits do our people actually need in order to achieve those outcomes? So, yeah, that's the cultural architect. Um, you know, and that's a lot of the work that, that I do with, with clients, helping, helping them to become better cultural architects. And, you know, culture is a word we hear banded around a lot. I'm always sure it's, it's used in a way that really reflects what it's about. For, for me, cultures the, the the basic unit of a culture is a habit and the the term culture comes from the latin word cultivate and this idea of a farmer cultivating the crops and the land so as a cultural architect you're trying to create your um, environment think of it as your field and create the right conditions that make it as easy as possible for your people to develop and sustain really helpful habits that are going to help them to be at their best, the team to be at its best and the organisation to be at its best. Yeah, and as you say, John, um, not only is that covered, of course, in the Habit Mechanic book, but uh, you do have a, a forthcoming webinar, How Coaches and Leaders can supercharge team performance using a new science-based five-step framework. And that's that framework is what we've just been talking about. So well worth uh, considering uh, that webinar too. Um, well, thanks for your time today, John. We'd just like to conclude the podcast by asking you about uh, a recent speaking engagement you had. It was, uh, as I understand it, the first 
time you delivered a new keynote. Uh, you did it at St. George's Park, the home of the FA, um, and you were speaking uh, alongside two very, very high profile sporting figures. Please do tell us more. Yes. Yeah, so, um, I was speaking to leaders in the golf industry um, from throughout the UK and Europe and helping them to reflect on the idea that habits are driving their organisations, they're driving them, they're driving the individuals and just showing them some simple and practical ways they can use to start understanding their habits better, their team's habits better and then to start building better habits. Everyone in the room actually got the book, which was really great and that's part of our new approach to our keynotes. Everyone got access to the app as well so that people didn't just leave the learning in the room, they take it with them and already I'm getting, I just got a message on LinkedIn just before this from someone's boss, very, very senior person, telling me how great the feedback was about my session. Someone that I don't know, they just randomly reached out to me. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that that's the key in our keynotes, what we call Tougher Minds Talks, is that, we don't only give people simple, practical, accessible, science-based insights that are entertaining and they'll leave people feeling good about themselves, but we also give people the toolkit they can take away with them and start immediately implementing in their own lives, but using to help others as well. So um, it's great to, to see the, the success that that talk had uh, and the great feedback that we had. And that we're we're now actually offering a new range of keynotes called Tougher Minds Talks um, to organisations, to businesses that think it would be beneficial for their workforce. So if that's something people are interested in, do get in touch. We only have a limited number of slots. And we've, we sent an email out about this um, a few days ago. And we've already got a lot of inquiries. So if you do want us to, to book us, do get in touch sooner rather than later. So yeah, it was it was really great, and um, it was also really fascinating actually. To so, um, Tim Foster, who won an Olympic gold medal, he talked about his team and the, the things that they did to perform well. He he was a rower, wasn't he? As I understand it, John. He was a rower, very high profile because he won a gold medal for GB when we didn't win many gold medals. So. Um, and he did it. He was in the same crew as Steve Redgrave, who's one of the greatest Olympians of all time. But um, yeah, so he was showing the things that they did in their team, and you could completely connect that to the five-stage team power model. But it was also interesting to listen to Steve Bruce, very seasoned football manager, um, and listen to I suppose some of the challenges he was sharing in trying to get players to change their behaviour. And one story he gave was about his last job, I think it was at West Brom, where they wanted the players to stop using their mobile phones. So they agreed that if a player used them used his mobile phone, you know, in a team space, could be in the rehab room or team meeting or whatever, they'd immediately be fined a thousand one thousand pounds. But he said within five minutes of us setting the rule, we already had eight thousand in the kitty because people just willfully decided that they'd rather pay a thousand pounds, you know, and use their phone. But for me, it's an interesting reward and penalty. So one, reward and penalty systems, one of the non-action factors, clearly that penalty system wasn't enough. 
So you can deter if if you'd have said it's going to be ten thousand pounds, that's a different conversation, isn't it? For example, but it comes back to the point: if we know what the nine action factors are, we can tweak and refine them, and that's the role of a cultural architect. Um, and again, we have a we have a we talked about the habit building plan before. We have a similar tool in the leadership section of the book that's focused on culture and helping you to understand how the nine action factors are influencing what your people are getting good at for better or for worse. But yeah, Tougher Minds Talks, if you want to if you want to book one, get in touch. We'd love to have a conversation. We've been doing this a long time now. Um, and I think that with our book and with our app, we can give you something unique, not just on the day, but also that toolkit that doesn't just get of people don't just leave the room saying that was great and then never do anything. They've actually got the tools to carry on making positive changes for themselves, their teams and the organisation and in their personal lives as well. Yeah, thanks, John. It's It's been great to talk today and thanks for, for sharing that story. Um, I'm sure Steve Bruce has probably seen the uh, the figure that uh, uh, the, the, the fine really bites uh, increase over the years as the Premier League's become more successful. But that's definitely a, a different subject for a different podcast. Again, thanks for talking to us, John. Um, worth pointing out that anyone um, who wants to contact us can do so via the website tougherminds.co.uk if you want to find out more about the new Tougher Minds talks the new keynotes tougherminds.co.uk is the place to make contact you can also sign up to receive uh, information uh, about Tougher Minds services um, and link of course to download the Habit Mechanic University app by the App Store or Google Play and of course a link to get your copy of the Habit Mechanic book and please don't forget to like subscribe and review this podcast on the platform of your choice. John uh, again thanks for your time um, anything else you'd like to say in closing? Thanks again for listening if you've got the book read it if you've already read it read it again if you're in the app check out people's tea plans and three to one reflections like comment post your version of, of a tea plan and a three to one you know the, the more that we engage and support each other in the app the the more we're helping us to be at their best and that's a great way to help yourself to be at your best as well so remember, this is a journey. There's no magic, but I firmly believe that we're using the best science and the best toolkit to help us to be at our best. So keep persisting. And remember, you're only ever one habit away. Thanks for listening. Remember, if you want to get your business off to a great start in January, get in touch to discuss how our habit mechanic keynotes or workshops can equip your people with practical skills that help them build super habits in five minutes. Or if you want to earn 100000 a year working part-time by launching your own coaching business, we guarantee to help you do that in just 13 hours. Get in touch with us today to learn more about becoming a certified habit mechanic coach who can transform people's lives and is recognised as a world leader in the field. For more details, contact us via the website. The link is in the podcast notes. Or if you want to feel better and do better every day, download the Habit Mechanic University app from your app store. Thanks again for listening.